Welcome, everybody, to the Hockey Think Tank podcast brought to you by the HockeyThinkTank.com, a website for all players, parents, and coaches to go to get a little bit of education and a little bit of inspiration regarding the greatest game on the planet. What an episode we have for you guys here today. We are bringing on the two guys that are the hosts of Morning Brew with Jaffe and Razor, Billy Jaffe and Andrew Raycroft. And we talk a lot of Bruins. We talk a lot of hockey. This was a really, really fun one. This is actually the second time that Billy Jaffe's been on our podcast. He is a personality in TV, in hockey. He's everywhere. He's done things with the Bruins, NHL Network, and he's, you know him when you hear his voice. Awesome, awesome guy. Awesome, awesome hockey analyst. And Andrew Raycroft, who's doing a lot with the Bruins right now, he actually won the Calder Trophy as the NHL's Rookie of the Year, his rookie year with the Boston Bruins, and also played uh, parts of 11 seasons in the NHL. So great, great perspective from these two. They have an awesome show, Morning Brew with Jaffe and Razor, where they talk everything Bruins, and they are just absolutely skyrocketing. So very, very fun to have them on the podcast here. And before we do get to them, we are going to bring on the talent of the podcast, Jeffrey Lavecchio. Vex, what's up today? Not much, bro. Just uh, <clears throat> excited. I actually just dropped today, like two hours ago. Before I went down and ate uh, ate my dinner by the pool, um, uh, by the six what? week by the pool. That's uh, St. Louis speak for the pool. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I dropped a six week program for like younger hockey players. If their parents or co- a bunch of coaches reached out to me because I put on Instagram um, that I was training some uh, ten and eleven year olds this weekend, and a whole bunch of people reached out to me that listen to our podcast were like, "Oh, I'd love to see what kind of stuff you do." and Obviously, it's hard to like put all that stuff on uh, online because I don't have videos of everything I do. So, I put together a pretty cool program for six weeks to <clears throat> help coaches just um, train either their own kids or a team, you know, with off ice training. Give them some structure, some ideas, three times a week. Only made it forty five bucks for six weeks because um, I mainly did it for coaches, but some parents were going to buy it for their kids. So, uh, excited to help some people out with some ideas and and teach kids to get excited about training. That is unreal. Like, this is a huge thing that you're doing. This is going to blow up, man. Well, I don't, I don't think it's that huge. Like, I would, I would really like to, uh, to take, like, a month to film, like, everything that I would love to put in a program like this for the next summer. Uh, but so many people are asking, and, um, you, you know, people, like, you know, I watch what people are having the, the kids do, and they tell them all they're running, like, two miles, and it's like, man, that is not going to help uh, – help them be better athletes or better hockey players. So, you know, I just put some strength stuff in there, some coordination, some games. So, you know, the kids are having fun, body weight exercises, teaching them how to own their body weight and videos of me coaching everything. So the, so the coaches who don't know anything about this stuff, hockey coaches, we'd be able to watch one of my videos coaching how to do, you know, a walking lunge and then they can coach it to the kids. So it's giving the coaches kind of some knowledge in the off ice training aspect, which I was really trying to go for with this. That's awesome, man. That's such a valuable thing. And I mean, that's what we're trying to do here a little bit with this podcast and what you've done an amazing job of in the strength and conditioning community is just, I feel like there's not a ton of resources out there. And so this is a free resource with our podcast to be able to, 
you know, talk and, and talk about hockey development and talk about our journeys and bring some very, very smart people on like our guests that we have today and previous guests. And, um, it, it's been pretty cool. I don't know about you, but just, you know, we talk about this all the time, the feedback that we get from people when we're, uh, whether it's, you know, like ratings and reviews, but even like a ton of emails that we get and even just walking around the rinks, you know, I'm in Chicago now and there's been a couple parents of kids that I'll be coaching next year that I've never met that have been like, Hey, I've, your podcast has, has really helped us to try and navigate this this murky waters of, of youth hockey and uh, anything that we can do seriously, like please never hesitate to reach out to us between Jeff and I, you know, we want to be as much of a resource to, to anybody as possible. And so that's why we continue to do this. It's, it's Sunday night. Uh, we've had a lot going on this week. It's Sunday night. And I have a four-year-old that's not very happy with me because uh, I took her doggy away that she usually sleeps with. We're in a new house right now. And so she's, uh, she's got a little bit of FOMO every time we put her to bed, she wants to come out and stuff. So uh, doggy has been taken away, but uh, you know, just a little real life stuff right here. But, uh, but again, we, we want to be a resource here for you guys. So Jeff, this is awesome. And like I said, reach out to us, anything that we can do to, to help this whole hockey thing be, be easier to navigate. We're here for you. Love it. Love it. That's why I did it, man. Somebody, a bunch of people messaged me and were like, can I get this for my kid? And I was like, well, I mean, they could be doing the off season prep in phase two that I have out. But I was like, you know, I have stuff that I've done with, with, kids that age for organizations and I kind of, you know, shuffled it around, made it make a little more sense, a little more clear for, so it would be for the coaches to coach their kids. And uh, yeah, so threw it out there and uh, already a bunch of people bought it. So that's pretty cool. That's awesome. I think the other thing too, that's really important to talk about with that is just age appropriateness, you know, especially in strength and conditioning, but in terms of hockey too. And, and that's one thing, you know, we've been critical of some USA hockey stuff on here of things that we like, things that we don't like. But one of the things I think they do a bang on job of, and they do really good is age appropriate hockey. And I think everybody needs to look at that through that lens. Number one, by how the game is played, because how the game is played at mites, squirts, peewees, Adam novice is not how it is <laughs> at, at the older ages. And then also just the seriousness of it as well. Um, I, I think if you're putting too much pressure on these kids at too young of an age, then that is obviously something that is going to hurt a lot of boys and girls hockey players out there so just be mindful everybody be age appropriate with which with what you're doing both from a strength and conditioning standpoint and from a hockey standpoint we're not teaching professionals we're teaching kids at the youngest of ages so let's make sure we keep it fun let's make sure our goal is to to make sure that they want to come back to the rink every time if again we all talk about all the time it all starts with passion it all starts with passion. If you can grow a love for the game at the earliest of ages, they're going to want to work at it. It doesn't go the other way around. If you continue to drill and drill and drill and drill and they're not having fun, then they're just going to lose that passion. They're not going to want to come to the rink. So um, I, I love what you're doing from an age-appropriate standpoint too. Yeah, thanks. I, I think that's like one of the hardest things. One of the questions I get all the time, like what should my kid be doing? Like what should he be focusing on? And, you know, it's – being athletic, owning your body weight, learning about balance and how, and just a lot of foundational stuff, like a lot of just hammering the same details over and over and over, but always making each session fun. So they want to keep coming back because if they get the foundations at that age and they work on all these little things at the base of the pyramid in a few years, when they like really start like getting in the gym and really working hard and throwing some weight around, like they're going to be so much further ahead of everyone else 
and you're working on their athleticism, which is obviously paramount and number one, I believe, above all else. Um, if you're work, trying to help athletes be better athletes, you know, working on coordination and different games and skills and how can you bring your brain into your training and your agility and not just run around cones like a mindless robot. <laughs> Great points. Also, <laughs> it's been a while. It has been a while since uh, we've heard the base of the pyramid. Like you're a big pyramid guy. You love the pyramid. You know, we get the, the progression and regression which is, I feel like, a little bit, you know, tangential to the... Uh, Whoa, tangential! The I don't even know if that word works in that... Say, you know what? I'm going to say in. it works because it's amazing. <laughs> I've heard of the word tangent, not tangential. That's the Cornell education. Oh, God. Program. So I might get roasted on this from social media because I have no idea. Really, Like, tangential, I feel like, is means kind of similar or it goes along the same path. Maybe that's not what it means, but we'll there see. There is similitude. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, good stuff. Can't take it too seriously, right? But we did get a base of the pyramid, a uh, little bit of a, uh, you know, it's been a while, Fax. It's been a while. Yeah, yeah you got to, you know, you know how I feel about training. But anyways, <laughs> I digress. Let's, uh, let's talk about who we got on these two yeah. meetings. So Andrew Raycroft and Billy Jaffe. So they do this show. It's called The Morning Brew with Jaffe and, R Jaffe and Razor that uh, really took off. And basically what they're doing is they, and they'll t tell uh, the story of it on the podcast, but they just wanted to provide, again, a resource to Boston Bruins fans that they didn't really think was was out there. And you obviously have Billy, who's been an NHL analyst for years, and then Raycroft, who's a part of the Boston Bruins alumni, won a Calder Trophy, played however many years in the, in the NHL. Uh, so they just provide some unbelievable analysis, and it's a show that's a podcast. So if you just go and click on their podcast, uh, but they also do a YouTube show, so you can see it in the flesh uh, as well, or not in the flesh, I guess, but see it on your screen. Um, but they do an amazing job of breaking things down. And some of our most downloaded episodes are when we really break the hockey stuff down and we can get into the detail of things. And they, they're able to do that. Very knowledgeable on the X's and O's of things, very knowledgeable on the Bruins from being a part of their program and being in Boston, um, but also being able to break down just the culture type of stuff too. And it was a lot of fun on this podcast being able to speak with them, especially with UVEX, who played in the Boston Bruins organization and told some great stories about Brad Marchand and, and Patrice Bergeron. And I, you know, I recruited Charlie McAvoy uh, to Cornell when I was there. He didn't pick us, but still I got to know him and uh, we got to talk a little bit about that. So you really get in depth. I think Bruins fans would really love this episode because we did be able to tell some stories on some of these players, but uh, just great, great hockey guys. And if you haven't checked out their stuff, go to uh, Morning Brew at Jaffe and Razor. It's, uh, it's a great show. Yeah, and they clearly have some good chemistry. They're kind of chirping each other back and forth. <laughs> and, uh, I was, it was really, really fun talking to them. They're both obviously very extremely knowledgeable hockey minds. Um, so cool to hear their insight and their take on things. And, um, you know, I hope they uh, – I didn't, I didn't ask about my boy Freddie, but hopefully they're big uh, Trent Frederick fans. There you go. There you go. So uh, we will get right over to them. But before we do, let's take a moment to thank our sponsors. And we talked a lot in this intro about resources. 
And one of the best hockey resources out there is our sponsor, icehockeysystems.com. And we have developed a partnership with them where we have given them a ton of our content, including our parent survival guide. And they have put out uh, an association platform where every single coach and every single parent in your organization gets access to icehockeysystems.com. It's an unbelievable value, whether you have five teams in your organization or whether you have 40 teams in your organization. So just think about all the drills that we talk about. Think about, you know, Dennis Savard talking about systems and Ben Eves, who we've had on the podcast and all the different content that we've done on the hockey think tank under one roof and add to that the parent survival guide. So it's not just educating your coaches, but the hockey think tank survival guide is, is a part of this. And so it's just an unbelievable resource for any organization out there that's trying to help out their coaches, help out their players, and help out their parents. And so go to icehockeysystems.com, look for the association platform, click on that. And then, Jeff, you don't, you don't talk about gel sticks much. Why don't you talk about gel sticks? They're your boys as well. They are my boys. You can uh, go to gel sticks, G-E-L-S-T-X.com. Type in the code. What is our code? Is it still think tank? Can we change it? Nope, still think tank. Still think tank. Our code is still think tank. We're rolling. We don't cut on this show. Code is think tank, one word. But seriously, love gel sticks. Uh, but I've been using them for four years now, I, I want to say. It's the third gym I've had them in. I use them in the gym with the guys. Guys use them to warm up. Uh, one of my clients, the KHL Defenseman of the Year. We knew, oh, by the way, I got to say that real quick. Chris Weidman, one of my clients, not only led the KHL in scoring, which we've known for months since the league's been over for a while, but he just got named the Defenseman of the Year for the Continental Hockey Yeah, why? Pretty badass. And the reason I'm bringing that up while I'm doing my gel sticks pitch to our lovely listeners is because Wides legitimately has the team pack his gel stick to every single game. He uses it as part of his warm-up. So instead of sticking with the puck, uh, he uses the gel stick, and then he'll get the puck in after that, use that, then go to his normal stick to help him warm up. He said he loved it, had it all year, everywhere with him. So, um, you know, you can use them in practice. You can use them on the ice, off the ice, all you want. I use them in the gym for strength. And gelsticks.com, coupon code think tank, one word. Oh, I love it. And then uh, thank you to Train Heroic. Jeff just talked about that and all the amazing things. So go to your App Store on your phone, download Train Heroic and look for Ripped Hockey, Jeff Lavecchio, R-I-P-T. And he's got some awesome things for a ton of different people, whether you're, um, you got a mom's workout, you got a workout for high-level athletes, now you got a workout for the It's a hot mom's workout. It's a hot, it's called hot mom's workout. Okay. So if you're not hot, you will be hot. If you're already hot, you can stay hot. I just made that for Stasny's wife, and then I was like, I might as well put this out there for anybody moms who are looking to work out three times a week. And moms are hot, so I put hot moms workout. Love it. There you go. Okay. Uh, So with that, thank you to all of our sponsors. And like we talked about earlier in this intro, thank you to all of our awesome, awesome listeners. Again, we've been doing this two and a half years now, over 160 episodes in. Uh, We continue to do this to be a great resource for everybody in the hockey world. And we really, really appreciate you guys. If you can, uh, go to wherever you get your podcasts, whether it's iTunes, Apple Podcasts, uh, Google Play, Spotify, and uh, shoot us a rating and shoot us a review. It goes a long way with us. We want to get better. It also helps to legitimize our podcast. When people are looking for a hockey podcast, they see all those ratings and reviews. They say, oh, a lot of people listen to this. Cool. Maybe I should listen to it too. (laughs) 
So uh, really, really appreciate all of your guys' support. Continue, continue to reach out to us with any questions that you have about this awesome, awesome hockey world. You guys are going to absolutely love this episode with the Morning Brew guys, Billy Jaffe and Andrew Raycroft. So without further ado, here we go with Billy Jaffe and Andrew Raycroft. We are so excited to have on this episode of the podcast all the way out from the Bean Town out in Boston. A little bit of a somber day today out there, but uh, we're excited to have Billy Jaffe and Andrew Raycroft on here. How are you doing today? Be- better days have happened, but we're, <laughs> we're all right. It's uh, Listen, there's a lot of, there's 20 guys that are a whole bunch more upset than I am, a whole organization a whole lot more upset than I am, and, and probably a, a lot of the fan base too, so... Uh, a little disappointing finish, but uh, they had a good run, and 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 again, not being directly in the fire, I can't complain too much about it. <laughs> yeah. So, what what do you think is? Uh, just give us a little bit of a synopsis. You guys had an awesome show this morning, and you know, I'll obviously talk about it in the intro. But you guys do such a good job of giving the ins and outs of the Bruins and and the way that the season has gone and each game has gone. So, take us through a little bit what your show was like this morning and what you feel like is going on with the Bruins right now after losing out to the Islanders. Well, we touched. We just touched on the the reasons they weren't able to close out, and, and a lot of that came from the injuries on the back end. Listen, Brendan Carlo and Kevin Miller added so much to the back end and both being defensive guys that they were, they just, they really lacked that, especially on the PK in games two and five at home. They got smoked on the PK and, and, and it turns out to be the, the decider in the, in the series. And then, of course, lots of Tuka Rask talk on what his future is and whether he should have played and should have not played and, and Jeremy Swayman. So uh, lots, lots to unwrap there. And, and we're certainly not going to get answers too quickly on that. I don't think. And then finally the, the bottom six, just the depth of the forwards. Uh, again, some of the guys struggled and, and there probably wasn't enough guys in reserve to jump in if those guys struggled the way they did. So um, some moves have to be made in different spots and it'll be, it, they have a lot of money, but there's, there's guys that they need to sign and get done and figured out. So it'll be a, a, a busier off season here in Boston than typical. Yeah. And you mentioned the, the two defense there that were hurt and, and, uh, you know, as a goalie yourself, I can't imagine, and, and you know, I recruited in college and you just, the, the, the defense position, especially players that can help you keep pucks out of your net. I mean, there's there's no substitute for it. If you don't have a, a solid decor to an elite decor, you can't win. And so from a goalie's perspective, like let's put, if you were in a GM shoes or something like that, how would you go about building a decor and how important do you think it is to a team having sustained success? Sure. Ideally, you start with Victor Hedman. That would be that'd be a good start, right? There's not too many of those guys growing on trees out there. But you look at what Tampa, you know, how they can build that team around him and, and rely on him for the 27, 30 minutes a night. But it's uh, it's it's a lot about depth. And as much as you thought the Bruins had it, they had to get into their eighth and ninth guy. It it still wasn't enough. And I think. Easiest way to go is you look at the Islanders right across the ice from the Appellate, Kulak, Mayfield, a veteran guy like Green. Those top four guys really did a, a number, especially on the PK, to have those big guys, big, long, and they can all skate now. As you guys know, the the athleticism of these big guys, the players are, are, are fast now. It's not just 
a big guy who takes up space. He needs to be able to move. So it's not the easiest thing. You have to start drafting. I think they have to start looking to the back end like they did with Charlie McAvoy. I think you start looking at, at some of the bigger guys in the second, third, fourth round and try and get them developed through through Providence and through the through the organization. But um, it's not easy because every team's looking for those guys, but you have to you have to pay. You have to you have to open the wallet for for guys that you think will be able to fit in your culture and in your in your scheme of of strategy. What are your thoughts on uh, on Tuca? I was reading some things that he was saying last night and this morning, and uh, the quotes. I just read the quotes. I didn't see the interviews. It sounded kind of bleak, kind of like he might be done. Um, what, what are your thoughts on him? It's it's really interesting, and he's such a lightning rod. So here in Boston, you know, they they no one wanted him to play games. They're half. It's split right down the middle. Half love him, half think that he he's done. And uh, I'm probably somewhere a little bit more in between. I think he has a lot to offer. I think at the at as a seven million goal, he's probably not that anymore. And uh, he, he's talked a lot about only wanting to play in Boston. He's played a long time now. As being a first-round goalie, he's he's played a lot of hockey in the last 15 years, and that body starts to wear down a little bit, and you're back, and it's it's harder to get up. And Tuca's a a guy that I think is smart off the ice. He's he's he really thinks his decisions through, and I don't think he's going to make anything. He's not just going to play to play. So it'll be really interesting to hear him on his exit. Does he need surgery? Does the team want him back? Does he want to come back? There's still, so I guess long, long-winded answer is I really don't know. Uh, I, I'm not close enough to anybody to know the inside story. I, I think there's an opportunity for him and Swayman to split time if he's willing to become more of that mentor guy because the reality is Swayman is, is their guy going forward and, and hopefully for a long time. And um, is if he's going to take that Henrik Lundqvist going to Washington, is he going to be the mentor and stay here and take a little less and play less games, or will someone pay him somewhere else? And is he willing to go somewhere else? So we're a we're a development podcast, I'd say, maybe classify us as, and uh, a lot of parents who listen to us, a lot of coaches. You being you know a former NHL uh, goaltender, I'd love to hear your thoughts because you talked about Tuca's you know injuries. How important or what are your feelings on goalies in the offseason taking time off? What are your personal feelings on that? Because that's one I get asked all the time, and I have my own personal feelings being a strength coach, but I'd love to hear yours. I'm a, I'm a big get-away-from-the-game guy. I know it's so much harder to do nowadays than it was when I was growing up. It was literally the gear went away for three, four months, and, and that, that, that was a month or two even in the NHL. Um, just, uh, you gotta, especially younger goalies, their bodies are developing, their hips are a big problem. And, and, and now there's other ways to get around it. Now you can do VR, you can do, have certain ways to stay sharp, stay engaged. And I think coaches are trying to think about ways to think about kids' hips, think about the, the wear and tear that their bodies do take, even if you're getting out on the ice and just skating. Now, instead of the up and downs, the pounding of the shots, get your power skating in for the first couple months of the summer, get your edge work better, get your puck handling better, all of these things you can do to, to maximize the offseason, but not st- 
strain your body to the point of of having bad hips at the age of 16 17 which makes absolutely no sense it's it's no good for anybody if you're going to burn yourself out like that so uh, my, my advice is always find rest take time off and and think about how you can improve your game in different areas without having to put that strain on your body don't go out and take 5,000 shots on a july 10th afternoon go out get some skating in work your edges do do what the players are doing with their puck handling go out to a skills practice and and move the puck around that way i think those are, are good options i love to hear that thank you that's something yeah. that i train a lot of goalies a lot of you know pro goalies on down and the pro goalies really are starting to listen to their bodies and guys are not on, you know, three times a week in the gym. Oh, come on, Parksy. We need a goalie. You need a goalie. And, and I'm, in, I'm on the player's side. Like, yeah, it'd be nice to have a goalie, but I'm in the goalies here. Like, don't you dare go on the ice. <laughs> it's way too early. And I'm seeing, you know, some of my younger guys needing hip surgery at 14, 15, 16. And all these guys that I ask, because that's around when they start coming to me. I'm like, you know, have you taken summers off? And they're like, no, never. Goalie camps all summer, summer leagues all summer, spring leagues. And it's just, I think it's too much for the for these guys' hips, and they got to get off the ice for at least a month or two. Yeah, there's no question. There's no question, and, and there's no there, – there's never a reason to get hip surgery at that age. And, you know, it, it, you're – it's hard to make it number one. It's hard to make it when you're having hip surgery at that age and, and losing a full year of development. So it's really important to be smart about it. It's really important to, to, to like you said, listen to your body and, and especially while it's growing and, and that's for parents. That's, that's on the parents. I think a lot of times where you have a 13 year old kid who, you know, a lot of times now it's the big goalie. So think about how much more wear and tear that is for your kid when he's 13 and can't use his body properly because he just grew six inches in the last year and he's awkward and uh, it just it puts a lot of strain and, and and again if you are that big goalie that and you're you're getting a lot of a lot of playing time to work on your edges and your skating that's the what's going to separate you at the end of the day and, and i think goalies sometimes miss that is that once you're 17, 18, 19, you look at the guys in the National Hockey League, they're phenomenal skaters. Their outside edges are as good as anybody's. They're not just always on their inside edge and, and their puck handling. So to be able to do that doesn't, doesn't affect your hips. The, the other thing, too, with, like, and I do this more as, like, a development for, like, the forwards and the D, I actually don't like having goalies out there when I'm doing skill sessions with my players because you can get so many more reps in on any type of skill. If it's shooting, you can do reps probably three times as many because you don't have to wait for the goalies to get set. And the goalie, like, if the goalies are out there just taking pucks, they're going to get bad habits if they're taking a million pucks, you know, from one spot or something like that. And so I just, like, in skill sessions, I don't know for the players that are out there, they're always like, oh, we need a goalie, we need a goalie, we need a goalie. I actually think you can get a lot more done when you don't have goalies out there. Maybe the last 10 minutes when you want a goalie to have a game would be nice, but you can just play post or, you know, flip the net over so you have to go top shelf or, or whatever it may be. Well, you're the oh, most boring coach ever. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah good luck, shooter. Kevin. Anyone come back. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but but it's a, it is a good point to, to not focus on that. And real realistically, the the players when they're doing those drills to to your point it whether there's a goalie there or not it's not 
you look at you guys, you go to an NHL practice or a pro practice or even a, a high end college practice, they're getting all their shots and all their work done before the starting goalie is not jumping in there in a pregame skate, taking shots from Patrice Bergeron or getting one timers from David Pasternak. They're doing that all on their own without a goalie to your point. So, so coaches, it's not necessary to have a guy in there for, for your guys to get better. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, okay, I want to go back a little bit to this series with the Bruins and the Islanders. And, and I know you guys, uh, like we talked earlier, did a great show on breaking down um, the Bruins and you have all season. But I, I kind of want to talk about the Islanders because, like, watching them, and they always, I feel like they get a bad rap because Barry Trotz and his defensive system and all that kind of stuff. But, I mean, especially in last night's game, it wasn't even close. I mean, the Islanders and the way that they play together and the way that they compete and they're hard. I mean, it's as a coach, it's extremely fun to watch. And, you know, one of the things that you guys talked about in, in your show is it, it almost seemed like there was no hope for Boston because they had to work so flipping hard to get any kind of offense that it was almost like they were tired. And it was like, I don't even know what to do anymore. These guys are just so good defensively. So you guys have seen a lot of teams come through. You've watched the Bruins play all year. Um, how impressed were you with the Islanders in, in this series and how that they played? Well, they're a team that grows on you, I think. Big time. With the, with the way that they, um, with the way that they don't care. And I mean that with the utmost respect, because I don't think many teams would be able to handle with the same poise that they have getting really at times, not just beat, you know, chance against, but at times dominate, or at least it felt like it. I don't know, Razor, maybe they weren't getting dominated as much as we thought. Maybe they don't, you know what I mean? Like, that's just part of their, their game plan. But they got hemmed in their zone. They got out chance significantly. But when all's said and done, they don't care. And they come back, and they wait for you to make a mistake, and they beat you. And they take away, at times, your will because of that. You know, we've all played in games that we've been outplayed that we end up winning, right? I mean, everybody's been there. You're like, oh, thanks for the goalie, or, hey, we got lucky, or, you know, we turned it on for 10 minutes. But the Islanders do it constantly, or at least consistently, and, and, and I think that can be very draining emotionally for an opponent when you keep thinking that you've got them, but it's anything but, and in fact, they've got you. Yeah, Billy, we've talked about it on when you were on our podcast and then when I was on with you too, like uh, the way that we played at Cornell, that was one of our goals was to make them quit. Like we want to make them quit. We want to make it so be so hard to play against that the other team is just like, I, I don't even know what to do anymore. <laughs> um, do you yeah. feel like the Islanders did that in this series with Boston? Uh, I thought they did that. I, I thought once they found their game, their rhythm, their size – they really play to their size. I mean, Razor, their defensemen looked like gargantuan in game six. I mean, they had so much length covered that they they just, I, I think after a while, the Bruins had to work so hard to get out of their own zone through the neutral zone. They were just kind of like, what else do we have to do? I mean, getting a shot wasn't even in their thought. It was just getting it out, I thought, for a while. And again, the Pellets, the Pulaks. The Mayfields, even Nick Letty. And Dobson's a big kid. He doesn't play a ton, but they're all big. And they took up a ton of ice. Yeah, size. It's not that big of a deal. <laughs> <laughs> um, how about you, Andrew? Like, 
playing in front and Boston, Boston's a good team defensively, typically too. Obviously they had the, the two guys that were out though, but as a goalie, how much confidence does it give you when you have uh, a structure in front of you that plays that way? Um, it just must be really fun to play. It, it seems like it is. It seems like they, 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 everything's from the outside. You can give up rebounds and get away with it. Uh, you can, you can make mistakes within the game that that a lot of teams don't afford their goaltenders to do and, and that's because of there's there's always someone there in position there's always four guys back and they're always pushing things to the outside so that you're not dealing with the high danger chances you're not dealing with the two-on-ones you're not dealing with the the rush chances and at the end of the day those are where all the goals are scored and that's how goalie save percentages get out of whack because the team gives up 22 shots, but they've given up three two-on-ones trying to chase the game. And the Islanders don't do that. They're happy to give up 40 and, and, and let them be point shots and close out the forward so they get to see the shots really clearly on a consistent basis. And, and so, so, yes, it, some goalies are built for it, some aren't. I think Varlamov, they, they have two guys there, especially Varlamov, who, who really plays within Trotz's system. He's done it before on, in Washington, understands it well, and understands that the shooter's his guy and everything else around him is, is just noise because someone's going to take them. Yeah, I love it. So I, I want to pivot a little bit and get back to Boston here. And Vex, you, you grew up in Boston system, and, and you played with – guys like Bergeron and Marchand before they were kind of Bergeron and Marchand. Um, but but Billy and, and Andrew, for you guys, one of the things that we like to talk about, it's so hard to quantify and so hard to really kind of describe is chemistry. Um, and that line for Boston is, is incredible. And their chemistry is incredible. Every time, uh, maybe not so much <laughs> in this series of times, but, but they're just so much fun to watch the three of those guys playing together. Um, how would you define their chemistry? As, as a line, and what do you think makes them one of the best lines in the league? Well, I think they trust each other implicitly, uh, and I think they push each other collectively. You know, Bergeron is the original. Then along comes Marchand, who, as Raycroft, your razor, has said numerous times, he's up there with the elite of the elite of Boston athletes as far as generational, like, you know, attitude, effort, battle everything he talked about that the last couple of games is will is competing just off the charts and it is and then along comes the third kid right and Pasternak who has maybe some of the slickest skills of them all but he's the newest and the youngest buck and and I just think they all push each other I think they trust each other completely uh I think that they're like family and we've heard about it before right where they they admit they argue Bergeron oftentimes acts like you know the dad in the middle of Marchand and and Pasternak and separates them and tells them, all right, enough. Um, but I think that's what makes them great. They, they legitimately don't care who scores. They just want to be on the ice together and do great things together. You know, one of the things that we've at least seen the last couple, what, at least two seasons now, Razor, and playoff th three, if you include the cup, is if you shut them down, and there's not always a lot coming behind them, in particular the last two, the bubble and then this last playoff. And so every team now is going to look at the video of what the Isles did, what Tampa did the year before in the bubble. They're going to be like, whoa, we got to shut these guys down. So they're going to be forced now, I think. And it's not a bad thing. I mean, they're still amazing, obviously, but they're going to have to figure things out too, I think, for playoff time because 
that's a lot of pressure on them, but they're the stars, and so they need them to come through. Yeah, and I, all of that is, is nail on the head, and, and it, communication encompasses all of that. I'll add that word. They, they communicate so well while they're on the ice and while they're on the bench and while they're at practice, they're trying to talk. They're talking to each other and trying to figure out where they all suit best. They're not just putting a puck out there and playing. They're talking to each other. I want to be here. I want you here. This is where this works best. They're always talking. And they're so smart. Their hockey sense, all three of them, is off the charts. So they're able to make adjustments quicker than the defense that they're playing against. Their face-off plays, they're able to pick the one that works on a pretty consistent basis against who they're up against. And that's because they are so smart when it comes to hockey. They're able to, to watch a defense and play one shift against a pair of defensemen and recognize the weakness by the end of that shift. And, and maybe it didn't work this shift, but next shift, if we do this just a little bit differently, we're going to have this open up. And, and just the, so the way they see the ice and the way they can communicate to each other on how to make those adjustments is such a strength. I think that's really important for, for coaches to hear and for younger players to hear because anytime I watch them and I watch the Bruins highlights quite a bit, I don't get to watch the games, but you always see them on the bench talking to each other. Like, like Razor said, always, always Marshawn and Bergeron. It's like literally the entire game they're talking to each other. And I wish more players would do that. You see, I, I look at football and you know, they, they have more set plays and stuff. And when a play doesn't work, they're on the bench and you see them and they're talking to the coaches, eye in the sky, well, we should do it this way. How many times growing up in a hockey game were we talking to our line mates saying, oh, the, the D-men are doing this, like we should totally change this. What we're doing isn't working. I don't know how much we were doing that when we were younger. When you watch Bergeron and Marshawn, it looks like they're doing it the entire game. They're talking about what they're seeing. They're changing their tactics. They're, they're constantly, you know, evaluating what's going on and trying to find a better way throughout each game, each week, each month throughout the season. I think that's why they always, always, always are successful because they're constantly evaluating and evolving. I think that's something that coaches, uh, the younger, the coaches of the younger kids, they, they can start telling their players to do that on the bench. Encourage your players to talk to, your, talk to each other. Line mates, sit together on the bench. How many times do you have line mates all over the place in the younger ages, and they're never talking to each other? That's something that's going to make you a much better hockey player. Hey, you know, Toph's out there. He's little. Like, you know, let's go, <laughs> let's go after him in the corner and try and push him around. Hey, and, now. <laughs> you know, yeah. Don't try you to know, push me around. <laughs> Eat it. Next. Time he's a meathead, just to pass it around him. You know, like <laughs> well, I think more of that would be really good, and that, I think that's a big reason why those that line well, is so successful. Yeah, well, I mean, one of the things, and I think I'm guilty of it as a youth coach too, is that I probably talk too much, and I think a lot of youth coaches talk too much because I mean, I'm into it. Like, I want to help them as much as possible. And, I've been known to talk probably more than I should in general as that's Razor during the show and ever, but, <laughs> but I think it, it's not out of badness. It's out of goodness, but I probably need to step back as a coach and let them talk. I mean, to your, to your point. Um, and I will say this, and I know that this is cliche, but true. You go to a practice and I, and I, and I know we couldn't do it this year because of COVID. I get it. And so all the rinks were closed. But you go to a practice at Warrior and you watch those guys, those three in particular, practice, holy smokes. 
you would think Brad Marchand is in his first year of his contract making league minimum. I mean, you would, you would, it's, it's no bull. I'm telling you that works so hard. And Patrice, who's, I'd say already in the hall of fame. Wouldn't you agree, Razor? He's already there. He's working. You couldn't, can't believe it. And then posture, not learning again from them. Smile on his face every minute of the day. I'm jealous how he has that, but they work so hard. They work so hard. That's another key to their line. Well, Vex, I'll bring it over to you here too, because you know you you played in the minor leagues with these guys. You know you knew them as people. You were in the locker room with them, and obviously, what they do on the ice is is what we all see. And and Billy and Andrew, you guys, you know, you cover the team too. But Vex, having lived it with those guys, you know, it's not just the stuff that happens, you know, on the ice. What what are some of the things that they do that make them special off the ice? Because I mean, Boston has been really good for a lot of years now, uh, aside from a couple dips and a lot of reason why is because of that culture. And I think losing Chara probably took a hit to that this year, but you, know, you got those guys that are there that are really good too. So what is it about those guys that you think from a culture standpoint has allowed Boston to, you know, have some of the sustained, sustained success? Well, I played with Marshy. I didn't play with Bergeron. He was already up when I, when I came in. Um, but I played Marshy and Tukes for, you know, a year or two. And Marshawn is the ultimate competitor. It's like Billy said, like, pr at practice every day. Like, he wants to win at everything he does. It doesn't matter if it's two-touch before practice or a game or it's a one-on-one -on -one battle or it's, you know, the game seven of the Stanley Cup Finals. Like, Marshy literally wants to win at everything he does. And that's something that we constantly talk about. Like, I would much rather take a little bit less skilled kid but who hates to lose and will give everything every single day to not lose and to win and to battle. Cause then you're, every single day you're pushing that envelope, pushing that envelope, pushing that envelope. And it sounds cliche, but it's, it's very hard to find people that constantly want to battle, even when they're tired, even when they're sick, even when they've lost three in a row, the guy who still comes and every single day wants to win at everything he does. I mean, that, that's, that's why Brad Marchand is Brad Marchand. So talk about the two stories, because we've we've talked about these stories on the podcast before, um, but imagine with, with these two guys on here, we'll probably have some more Boston people on here. But you told one story about Brad Marchand wearing uh, flip-flops and, and uh, you know, coming in sweaty to a lunch. I want you to tell that story, and then I also want you to tell the story about Bergeron when you had your concussion and uh, what he did for you there. Yeah, well, boys, uh, so Marshy, and I was at lunch in Providence with a couple of guys, and uh, must have been Marshy's second year, oh, first year uh, when he played the A the whole year. And we're waiting for Marshy at lunch. He's like an hour late. And we're like, you know, where is this guy? And we're texting him. Like, what are you doing? Like, should we order you food? And he's like, you will not believe what just happened. Just wait, just wait. He gets to, gets to lunch. He's sweaty. He's out of breath. Like, what was going on? You will never believe this. He pulled up to a stoplight downtown Providence, and there's a car next to him with the door open. And he's like, that's weird. And all of a sudden, this guy pops out behind a building sprinting. And then, like, two seconds later, there's, like, four, three or four cops chasing him. So Marshy's got his flip-flops on, obviously driving his Escalade, his first year of his contract with 29-inch rims, pops out of his car, kicks his flip-flops off, and he sprints after the guy because he was ahead of the cops. And the guy's running, and he's like, what are you doing? And he just sweep-kicks the guy's feet out from under him. <laughs> guy barrel rolls, falls, he says. And the cops come up, and they're like, what the hell are you doing? They, they handcuff the guy. You know, they lay him down, they're on top of him. They're like, what were you doing? He's like, I don't know, I was just trying to help. They're like, what if he had a gun? 
And he's like, uh, <laughs> he just, he just, you know, saw, saw this, wanted to help the cops. And like, I was like, he gets to lunch, like, Marsh, you are a superhero. You are literally a superhero. Like, what is going on? Just like, who does it? Who gets out of their car, and chases down a bad guy? It was uh, just on a random Tuesday in downtown Providence. Like, pretty, that's pretty amazing. Wild. That is yeah. awesome. I know, pretty wild. Then the, the other one, just you know, I didn't, I didn't get to play with Bergeron, but um, I had a really bad concussion. I missed my whole first year pro. Um, it was right around the same time that Bergeron missed like a whole year with a bad concussion too, and. Um, my first year back, I played, uh, I wanted to play in five preseason games. And after one, it was in Toronto. I thought I was never going to play hockey again. Then we go to play in Toronto in preseason and, uh, they put me in the lineup and I didn't think I was ever going to play hockey. I thought I was going to have to retire before I really got to start. And I was looking around after the game and nobody's looking. I, I grabbed the program with my name on it to put in my backpack. It's like, man, I'll always remember this. Like thought I was going to never play hockey again. And I was almost like crying, like the whole game, just so happy to be playing hockey. I look up as I'm putting it in my bag and Bergeron is just like staring directly into my eyes. And like, I was like embarrassed. Like, what's this guy going to say? And he's like, he knew I had a concussion. He's like, yeah, man, like, it's unreal. Like, congratulations. You deserve it. Put that in there. And I was like, oh, thanks. Don't tell anybody. (laughs) (laughs) That's, that's, that's unreal. So what do you guys think? Um, so I got the chance to recruit Charlie McAvoy when I was at Cornell. Uh, he did not pick Cornell, which kind of sucked, but <laughs> obviously it was a good decision seeing where he's at right now. I have to imagine that he's someone that will pick up the torch when Marshawn and Bergeron are no longer those, those guys. He just seems to be one of those culture glue guys who happens to be one of the best players on that team, if not the league. You know, I'm sure he'll win a Norris at some point or get very, very close to it. What are your thoughts on him just with, with everything that we're talking about from a culture standpoint with the Bruins? You want to take it, Razor? Or you want- he's, be- he's being groomed for it. There's no question. I think he's he's still... He- started out where you know these guys have been giving him a hard time and outwardly in the media for being late uh, for showing up late to meetings to not being there at certain times and that's Marshawn that's Patrice that's that's the whole Zidano and I think they do that and they did that knowing that he was going to be that important to this group and he was the next guy certainly on the back end and now he's got he's probably got two three years until he's gonna have to take over for the whole team and uh so yes and, and he grew miles in the last 18 months in, in those respects even the way he's dealing with the media and answering questions thoughtfully like patrice does so i he's certainly being groomed for that he's getting to that point where he is is going to have to take that torch, and, and these guys are are doing everything they can to 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 get him to the place where where he can continue the culture the way they expect it to be continued. Yeah, he he relishes it. Um, he's very very proud. He, when he talks about the Bruins and spoke the his uh, his face glows. You know, he's legitimately a a Bruin, and um, he understands. I think he was one of those players i'll call him because he was a kid then when he sat next to char or near him and listened to him it was all ears it was probably not a lot of talking at first but he just couldn't get enough he just how much he loves Zidano. so he learned just from it and and, and it's it's awesome to see i i mean 
the, the, the growth that he spurt that he had this year, Razor, was not that I didn't expect it, because I, 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 I did, but to, to actually then see it and then maybe some ways exceed where maybe we thought he could go this year. It be, you know, there was a lot of uh, talk about not scoring enough. That was the last big hurdle for him. Well, it's hard to score in that league, right? In NHL, it's really hard. And his concentration was more on the shutdown side of it. Now he's going to put up, well, he'll probably need to have regular 45 to 50 points. He's pushing that, you know, that 40 regularly now, but 45 to 50 to get in that Norris conversation regularly. And I think he will. I think he will within a year, if not two. In fact, this year, you could have argued with how many defensive partners he played with and how many young kids he helped bring along young in terms of experience, not so much his age, you could argue that it was one of, it was one of his, you know, he was one of the best defensemen in the league this year. There are people that wanted to put him on the ballot this year just for the amount of different partners that he played with this season. Not to mention the four goalies. He didn't have Vasilevsky behind him all year too, right? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And and for all the kids that are out there listening, like, so, like I said, we, uh, we recruited him at Cornell and he was a young kid. We didn't do a whole lot of young recruiting, but he was one that we thought was pretty good. And we just wanted to bring him in on a visit just to get to know him and just to see the campus and see a game and and things like that. We had no intentions of really going that much further with him at that point. And and we got to know the kid and we got to know that the dad came on the visit as well. Good dude. Unbelievable, (laughs) but and the funny part is, and and I think this is something that kids that have aspirations of playing maybe in college hockey or some older levels again, we had no intentions of offering that kid a spot in our program, but we fell in love with them on their visit. They were such salt of the earth, great people. Um, you you obviously see the work ethic that Charlie had on the ice and everything like that. And uh, I remember Shafe and I looking at each other, and Shafe was like, We can offer this kid, and I was kind of like. Yeah, I think we should. <laughs> and so, again, just goes like the character of, of the family and not just Charlie uh, Jr., but uh, his dad as well. And so um, just a really cool thing. And Charlie was, wasn't was supposed to make the NTDP. He was not going to make it. And then some something fell through, and he ended up being the eighth defenseman on the NTDP coming into his 17-year and then wound up being one of the best defensemen his 18-year just because of the work ethic and stuff. So I think it's just a great story just uh, – for for any kid to kind of listen to and and uh, uh he's going to be a rock in that lineup certainly for for years to come so uh well we've had you guys on here for quite some time and and we really appreciate it. if you can before we let you guys go just talk a little bit about morning brew and what you guys are doing with uh with your program you guys have <laughs> billy as we talked about you guys are doing great things and a lot of people tuning in with with what you have going on so talk a little bit about your podcast slash youtube show that you're doing and uh, tell us where people can tune into you. Well, um, what we're doing for the next couple of weeks is probably having coffee on our own without calling it morning. <laughs> now that the Bruins lost, but uh, we will be back with some summer programming or off-season programming. What morning brew? And just a point to make is that it's spelled B-R-U. If anybody's looking us up instead of B-R-E-W, because if they look us up to brew, like the beverage brew, instead of the brewing brew, uh, they wouldn't <laughs> find us. But it, 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 just an idea. It's not exactly like reinventing the wheel. It was just locally in, in the greater you know, Boston, New England area, the Bruins are amazing fan base, but yet they don't get the coverage that 
both Razor and I felt they deserved. And, um, you know, we both do radio spots and we do a lot of, Razor does a lot of appearances for the Bruins as part of the alum. And, and I'm on the radio a couple of days a week and whatever, but they didn't get the insight, but we felt that they really, really deserved. And so we said, you know, said to Razor one day, what do you think? You want to just do a hyper local show and give the Bruins fans that kind of 20 to 30, 35 minute in, you know, real hard breakdowns of games. And Razor said, sure, let's give it a go. That's how it started, as simple as that. And then we put a few things together, and we made a bunch of mistakes early on. We finally got a producer a few weeks in who was uh, <laughs> awesome. I call him a kid because he's a lot younger than me, not so much Razor. But he's helping us out an awful lot. And, you know, as you guys well know, it's a ton of work, uh, especially after every game. But our goal was to do after every game to see what that was like. And especially in the pandemic year, I wasn't traveling like I normally do. Razor's schedule was abbreviated. And so we said, we'll give it a go. And it's been wonderful. It really has. And um, it's been a good lesson, a real good discipline. It's like working out. It forces you to get up, talk about, or a lot of times we recorded at night, but talk about the show after the game or the game after the game, break it down even more, articulate your points. Razor's fantastic. I'm not saying because he's sitting here talking with us. His goalie perspective is excellent. He's going to do just great in this business. Um, no issue. He's got a lot more hair than I do, so he's, he's got that going for him. Uh, but, no, I mean, like, you know what? It's easy. We talk about it. We both love the Bruins. We do. We love the Bruins. We want them to do well. But you know what? We're honest, too. And, and that's what's the most important thing. You can't BS people in Boston. Razor knows that he played here. If you BS something, whew, you're going to get handed to you by some of the fans. So it's been a ton of fun, but we will have programming in the offseason. We're just we're waiting to have that proverbial meeting of the minds to decide what that exactly means. We need to get that done, Razor. <laughs> yeah, it's going to be an interesting one. Uh, <laughs> these two minds. Uh, and Andrew, being an alum of, of uh, the Bruins, has this been pretty fun for you to be able to you know, be a part of that alumni group and talk about the team and still be involved? It has. It has. And, and just to build off Billy's point quickly, for me, trying to get better at this, it, it's been invaluable for me to, to listen to Billy and his, his, his work ethic and, and how he presents and how he uses words so effectively uh, that it's been a, a huge learning curve for me. And it's, it's been, it's helped me so much just being able to talk for an extra 25 minutes because it's, it's not typically what I do. Um, and, and yeah, for, for me to come back, the big thing is for me to come back to Boston after being away for 10 to 12 years and, being welcomed back into the alumni it, it's the Bruins are so much more popular than what it was in 2004 when I was here it, I mean it, it's I get I get more being going to alumni games than what I ever got when I actually played here being downtown or going to dinner you get asked so many more questions now so uh, having my family here my kids are now growing up and getting to go to Bruins games and it, it's been it's been special and now I get to to talk it a little bit as well. So, so I'm, I'm pretty lucky. Awesome stuff. Well, thanks guys for taking some time out of your busy, busy days to, uh, to talk to us here today. And, uh, we appreciate it. And anything we can do to help you guys out, just let us know.